I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. What is up, beauties? This is Alex Alcazaz, a.k.a. the Bear of Texas, and this is Cowboys Talk. Let me reintroduce my good friend, Wiley, a.k.a. the Venomous Stare. Wiley, are you ready to preview the game between Dallas and Philadelphia on Monday Night Football? So ready, Alex. This is a classic rivalry, and it's going to be an exceptionally exciting, important game for the boys. Well, thank you, Wiley. It sure will. And before we get started, I'd like to announce to everybody that I created a website for Cowboys Talk. You can actually check it out. And just so everybody knows, Wiley has a special profile, and his profile will be attached to every episode that is made with him being a guest on. So thank you, Wiley. Oh, it's just great that you're continuously expanding and making sure that people can find you through different means. So we can get into the discussion now about the game. Well, it's definitely a game that you and I... This game really has an, an effect on us because we both hate the Eagles, don't we? Absolutely. This is probably Dallas's most hated rival. Washington sort of... Beats Dallas whenever they shouldn't, and if you remember the RG3 game on Thanksgiving, that one sticks out. But, you know, Washington hasn't been good, really, for a very long time. I mean, pretty much since the RG3 era, anytime they do win the division or make the playoffs, it's either a fluke or just because everyone else is even worse than they are. And the Giants are a disaster. Philly actually won a Super Bowl not too long ago, even though it seems like an eternity ago, considering Foles and Wincy are both gone and look like different players, but probably Dallas's biggest rival, I would say. Especially in recent years, and speaking of rival, apparently, as of late, there's been a headline about Eagles head coach Nick Sirianni wearing a shirt that says, Beat Dallas. Yeah, this is one of those rivalries where both sides really care. You know, sometimes there are rivalries where one side really cares and the other side maybe doesn't really care as much. Or you have rivalries sort of like Texas Tech and UT where it's pretty damn one-sided and that can affect how much people care. Like the Texas Tech people care way more, whereas the UT fans care more about like OU or the A&M game back when that happened. So this is very interesting to me because Philly absolutely detests Dallas, and the feeling is mutual, so that's part of what makes this such an exciting rivalry. It sure does. So this game going against on Monday, we just defeated the LA Chargers while the Eagles just got beat by the 49ers, and you know, as I said on our tribals, that you know the the lesson the Eagles learned in this game, or at least I should say, I plan on uh, saying that tomorrow. Y'all should tune in when our tribals goes live. Is that the Eagles learned that the 49ers are not the Falcons, and I think the Eagles are about to see that the Cowboys are definitely not the Cowboys we saw last year. This is a Cowboys team that's starting to show a bit of change, but they still got a long way to go. Absolutely, Philly looks great in Week One against the Falcons, and they look absolutely dreadful in Week Two. Couldn't get anything going. Offense looked ineffective and weak. The quarterback was not able to generate anything on the ground. Overall, it was just a freaking disaster. Very embarrassing performance. And the sort of performance that you think this might actually have lasting effects because it was so bad. So it's a big question mark as far as what will Philly even look like. 
I don't think Dallas really looked great, but they didn't look awful like the Eagles, even though they did win ugly. It's going to be a little bit challenging for the, for Dallas to take on the Eagles' defense because the Eagles' defense has allowed allows an average of 283 yards of total offense in a game. Wow. Well, the Cowboys, the Cowboys. Sorry, I had a, I was blowing my nose, had my mic on mute. That's all right. The Cow. The Cowboys are known as a team that puts up a bunch of offense, especially yards-wise. Maybe they don't score as much as you would think, like, oh, yeah, an elite offense, because this is a team that famously puts up a crap load of empty, empty passing yards. So I'm really looking forward to see how the Philly offense does. I think their defense will be okay, but I don't think they're going to shut down Dallas. And what really jumps out to me about this game is, A, how is Hurts going to look? B, how is Sanders going to look? That's really going to be the defining factor of this match. It, it really will. And, you know, unfortunately, the bad news this week is that linebacker Keanu Neal has been placed on the reserve slash COVID-19 list. And this is just making me hit my head against the damn wall. ask myself, when will this crap stop? Seriously. Of this COVID drama. Yeah, this is a problem that is continuing to fester, and things that aren't reported on are the things that go on behind the scenes as far as uh, the certain mandatory vaccine mandates or players not being allowed to play if they don't get tested. And I even saw a headline the other week that said Penn State students, not even in athletics, just PSU students, have to get tested on a weekly basis just to go to class. And I quit, but that wouldn't be the first time that PSU has stuck their students without consent. Seriously, this drama, you see, this is the drama, folks, that Wiley and I just cannot stand. I mean, this is this is why I say I don't want to get political, because this is nothing about being political. This is just unwanted drama. Yeah, I think everyone can certainly agree with that. Everyone has COVID fatigue in some regard, whether it be related to sports or not. But I don't think you're going to get much pushback on that. I think everyone's tired of dealing with this, tired of hearing about it. And whenever they see people, uh, even like MLB Network talk show hosts like Al Leiter, Al Leiter refused to get the vaccine and they're not going to allow him on any more MLB Network segments in the studio. And you see stuff like that and then you see headline the next day that said, uh, none of Joe Biden's cabinet required to get the vaccine. No undocumented migrants required to get the vaccine. Yet Americans are ramrodded with extreme brutality and without any sense of integrity or honor. And we have to look around and say, why is it this way for us, but not for the elites? So I think that everyone is tired of all this COVID nonsense and is very aware of the duplicitous nature of the enforcement of these policies. But anyway, I mean, the drama is just enough. I mean, you know, it's driving me crazy as it is. But anyway, but going back to uh, previewing this game, I think key to victory number one is run the fucking ball. Like Absolutely. Dominate the clock with Zeke. Look, look for Zeke to have 20-plus carries. Last week, you know what? It looked like young Tony Pollard was really going to take the reins, Alex, but you're paying Zeke so much. In my opinion, you've really got to ground and pound with Zeke, control the clock, and that's a huge win condition. Really got to grind the rock. You're dead on with that. Yeah, I mean, as far as Zeke goes, it's pretty obvious you've lost your religion with Zeke, so 
Yeah, he looks worse and worse every week. This is a guy that frequently gives up or frankly just looks soft. Every single week I watch Zeke Elliott, I lose more faith in him. And you know what? Yeah, he had that big play at the end of the half. Zeke Elliott used to run with extreme ferocity every play. This was a guy who actually made his bones after the first point of contact. And now when you watch him, he's almost falling down, falling forward before he even makes first contact. Whenever Zeke was ground and pounding and the Cowboys were at their best, guess what it was predicated off of? Not only frequent running, but sort of up the up the gut, between the tackles, smash mouth running. And Zeke Elliott looks like a soft outside the tackles runner who doesn't even want to go after any contact or attack like he did before. In the past, Zeke was stylistically similar to Marion the Barbarian Barber, a guy who would run downhill. You know, that was the old Frank Gore adage. He's a downhill runner with that means is you try to run at and through guys it makes safety scared to hit you the backers after a couple quarters are tired of hitting you you're really pounding them but the way that zeke plays now he plays uh sort of like darren sproles you know like cutesy screens always going out to the side not really wanting to pound got pound on dudes straight up we've talked about this virtually every week but this really does feel like it's a direct result of that big contract he got. Looks like Zeke's checked out since he got his money. But you know what? As long as it's true, we have to keep saying it, Alex. This is not something that, you know, we can talk about once and then on a, a, a weekly football show. You know, this isn't an MLB show. This is a football show where they play one game a week. The, the keys to the game for the Cowboys, when you give your running back that much money, is literally always going to be run the ball. When the Cowboys have been successful in the last 20 years, they've been a run-first team, maybe with uh, the exception of the Terrell Owens era, but even then they were running a lot. This has never been a team that has been a complete air-it-out team whenever they're successful. If you look at 2014 and uh, the game, the year where they won 13, I think it was 07. Yeah. Yeah, this was they were still running a lot. DeMarco Murray, Marion the Barbarian, even with Tio and Dez having phenomenal years, these were still uh, teams that used the run heavily. This is not like a a Drew Brees style offense with a lot of the spread and an air it out. Dak does not have the ability or, or accuracy to run a pass first offense. So we really gotta see Zeke Elliott pop off here. We do, and you know it's bad enough that Amari Cooper revealed this week that he's that he suffered a cracked rib, rib in week one and he's been playing through it he says he feels great but i mean as long as he says he, he insists he feels great i mean I, I think if there was something bad they would have announced it but i still think like we're gonna have to rely on running the ball because everything you just said is true and let's not forget you know the, the problem is you know the eagles rushing offense is second in the league averaging close to 162 yards a game while our defense, I believe our rushing defense allowed an average of 70, so it's it's really going to be a, a running game fest. But, like, so the number one is, is running the ball, and number two, like, our defense is going to have to sack the quarterback and force turnovers. And speaking of turnovers, it's hard to believe that the Cowboys right now, lead, the defense leads the league in turnovers. Yeah, I mean, it's been two games, and both of the offenses they've played are kind of eye-roll offenses. Not the Bucks necessarily. But if you look at that game, the Bucks basically had 
two turnovers that were just goofy, sort of flash in the pan coin flips. So not to say that the Bucks offense is a joke, but that specific game, it's a misleading stat. And then of course Herbert, we talked about last week, just a ridiculous slop fest of a game, dumb penalties. So Cowboys defense still bad. Don't get too high on the Cowboys defense. Is it improved from last year? Sure. Well, but so far. It, you know, but that's like me saying, oh, it went from a two out of ten to a three out of ten. Like, yeah, it's improved, but I mean, give me a break. See, and I like how you mentioned that we gotta talk about ZK for you because apparently people just don't understand. Like People think that you are being too hard by calling Zeke a quitter. And I, and I would tell people, look, you really think Wiley likes having to say that? Look, the problem is Wiley's selling the truth because that game, because people said I exaggerated. I mean, when I saw Tony Pollard score that play, Tony Pollard pounded his way through. That's what we call not quitting. If it was Zeke, he probably would have been taken down maybe two yards shy. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's true. I mean, look, look I tell people, look, guys. Seriously, stop being brainwashed by drama slash bullshit. Seriously. Yeah. Wake the... I mean, I pray for these people. Wake the fuck up. You would would think that these people, these and their ilk that send us these ridiculous hate messages and tell us that we deserve death, you would think that these sort of football fans view commercials as what the merits of a player are based off of and not the box score. It's like, oh, Zeke and Dak, they're in all these ads. Isn't isn't Zeke Septum so cute? And if you actually watch the goddamn games, Tony Pollard is the guy who runs with the ferocity now. Tony Pollard is the guy who really looks like he's the asset. Tony Pollard looks like he deserves the starting job. If you were to take the nameplates off and take the numbers off, and you just watched that last VOD of the previous match, you would say to yourself, you know, like, okay, running back two, like if you showed all the clips in succession, like all the Zeke plays, all the Pollard plays, you're like, uh, the second guy looks better. He looks like the more effective back. A lot of people would be floored. Oh, that's Pollard, really? Well, holy shit, he's running like Zeke used to run. And I think as Cowboy fans, a lot of us can sort of lose sight of that. I know uh, a lot of, like, Palmer fans and more casual fans can almost be blindsided. You know, it's like they want Zach and Deke to do well. Those are their guys. Those are the franchise guys, so to speak. And they're always cheering for them. And it's hard for a lot of people to be critical and be honest. But, hey, that's why they listen to this show is so they can get some real takes. And not have to listen to contrived 105.3 The Fan basically just make up excuses and say the same insipid garbage every week. So we just have to keep it a stack and be honest because that's why people tune into us. If they wanted to have smoke blown up their ass, they'd watch another show. Right. I mean, this is why I was convinced to start the website because more and more people are listening. So... I mean, it's good to see that more people are really starting to now accept the truth. Well, well maybe it's not that. Maybe they're, they're like, finally, somebody that's telling the truth because we've I've got those kinds of compliments. Or I should say we because, you know, believe it or not, there's been some praise for you too, brother. Oh, I don't doubt it. I mean, whenever you hear the same thing said ad nauseum, even from the mainstream press, like I flipped on SportsCenter while I was eating lunch the other day. And even the uh, the national media does Dak slurping. And what's the first thing they bring up? The fucking yards. I really don't understand. 
why fans have this sick obsession with passing yards, and they'll intentionally take the context out of it. And obviously, passing yards have merit and their importance. But if you, it's it's almost like these people don't watch the game. They look at the box score and they see 400 yards. And it's like, okay, 250 of that was gotten in the fourth quarter when they're literally playing, like, prevent defense. They're just giving Dak anything under 15 yards. You know, there are other stats that are more valuable. A quarterback rating, for instance. And honestly, the eye test should really be the thing that you use the most. And that's sort of the gold standard. And I know for casual fans, you're like, well, how can the eye test be the standard when there's all these stats? Because there's 16 football games a year, not 162 baseball games. So if you just look at the box score at the end of the game, you don't pay attention to game script, game flow, turnovers, stuff like this. You're really missing out. Whereas if you look at a sport like baseball, yeah, there is actually so much sample size where you can look at stuff like on-base percentage and OPS plus and get a way better understanding of how a player actually performs. So I think that's a nice little statistical difference that's worth noting between the two sports. No, 100%. And it's, it's good that we're talking about this because, you know, every, you know a lot of these still would say we stick to the Cowboys and Eagles, but, you know, sometimes you got to go beyond the, the barriers because you got to prove your point and we're not a, we don't sugarcoat. And look, when I and when I say that the Eagles, when the Eagles play the 49ers, I mean let, let's be honest. Yeah, they beat the Falcons, but you know the Falcons are, are in, in Wiley's uh, famous words, repulsive, repugnant. You know, just, just name a few. And, and frauds, fraudulent, disgraceful. Absolutely. <laughs> but the the, Fal- the Falcons are a team that had an identity that got them like six wins a year, and they they very ostentatiously rejected that and got rid of it. This was a team that was completely dominated and led by Julio Jones and Matt Ryan. If the Falcons won games, it was those. It was because of those two dudes. Not because of the mediocre line or the subpar running game or the shit-tier defense that did the biggest choke in Super Bowl history. That was an arid-out team. And one thing that I said on my uh, weekly football show that I do on my YouTube channel, Venom Astaire of the This Week in Fantasy show, Last week, I did a two-hour episode with my cousin Spencer, and one of the things we spoke about was Julio Jones's incredible rapport with Matt Ryan. This is one thing that people really underestimated and didn't appreciate to the fullest extent, because Julio Jones looked horribly disjointed with Ryan Tannehill in week one. A lot of people would say Julio Jones was like an instant plug-in and play and be God to your guy. We saw that to not be the case, and I think that... As bad as the Falcons have looked, you have to sit there and sort of think to yourself like, well, as good as Julio Jones was, maybe a lot of his talent and the numbers he put up was his rapport with Matt Ryan. And notice I didn't say Matt Ryan being God tier or oh, it, was, it was all Matt Ryan. No, it was their rapport, their chemistry, their ability to work together as a unit. And I think maybe five years down the line, we're going to appreciate that Matt Ryan, Julio Jones combo almost on a level of like a, a DeLome and Steve Smith, a Dez and Romo. Two guys who really got each other and stylistically molded well together, especially if Julio has a few drop-off years, which I don't think he'll necessarily will. 
I think Julio is going to hit the wall quicker than some people think. And Julio, unfortunately, is all, it's already at the point of his career where it, it probably just doesn't go any higher. But, I mean, I, I think... Agreed. I mean, it, it's sad because Julio Jones is, is one of the best receivers we've seen in the last 10 years. But, you know, look, he did his best, all right? It's unfortunate that he was part of the Falcons team that choked away... The twenty to three lead, but you know wasn't what? his fault. Wasn't he made that fault, yeah. he made that god tier play that essentially like it gave them an out. Like they were doing all that insane choking, and then he made that play that essentially gave them the opportunity to ice it. But they fucked it up. We don't have to rehash. We we could do a whole episode on that game. But, yeah, but... W- one interesting talking point I want to float though is: Do you think that Julio Jones is the best receiver since Megatron retired? It's de- it's really hard to pinpoint exactly who was the best because we've seen several very good ones. I mean, Randall Cobb also comes to the mix. Uh, to just name a few. I don't few. think he's a, I don't think he's really up there. I think that the names are more like Julio. Hawkins, maybe. Huli- yeah, Hawkins is a good one. Michael Thomas for New Orleans is another good one, and uh, Adams for Green Bay. But to me, it's like who did it better and more consistently than Julio. Yeah, I, well, I guess now that you put it that way, I, I would probably definitely say it's got to be Julio Jones. If Julio has a down year this year and next season, we're really going to be saying he didn't really know what he was giving up whenever he left Matt Ryan. But we can throw it back to Eagles-Cowboys now. I just thought that was an interesting little tangent. Yeah, I mean, it, it's good because, you know, everybody, you know, the, the, the people who, who truly understand where we come from, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they were blessed to hear what we said. And, and folks... Y'all are the reason why we're motivated to do, to do this shit. Yeah, and we don't we don't necessarily want to have every episode be like A B C D. Here's the upcoming review. Like, we, yeah, we need to run the ball. Like, that's part of doing a podcast is the normal tangential things that get brought up whenever you are talking. You actually want to delve into. That's just part of doing good radio is a natural flow of conversation. And not just like sticking to a script dogmatically as though you're uh, doing an episode of Entourage and Doug Ellen wants it shot his way. Yeah, you know, and, and, I, and I was asked, like, you know, some of the listeners are curious to, to know what my stance is on this whole vaccine crap. I'm like, you know what, guys, like I said, I, I'm not a political person because, you know, polit- political shit is drama that I, I avoid. At the end of the day, it, it just annoys me that the drama has to keep getting worse and worse and worse and causing all this stress. I mean, I just wish this whole thing would go away. I'll just put it like that. I mean, if the, if anybody's wondering, yeah, I mean, political shit is not my thing because it's the, it's the drama that I just can't handle. Well, the audience has to understand that we're hardcore sports guys, and if it was up to us, we'd never talk about this shit. But you know what? That's just not the reality of the situation. This is a persistent problem that is still occurring nearly every week in every sport. Even if you look at baseball, Chris Sale missed a couple weeks uh, in the early part of the month. Then you can't escape this to say, like, we don't want to get political. You know, that's fine. But ultimately, it's like it affects every single week we do the show. Someone is out with COVID. And it would be dishonest of us to not point out the double standards of the vaccine enforcement. I mean, what I, don't, so, what I don't understand is that they said Keanu Neal never tested positive. So that that's what I don't understand. Well, I think that in general, I think you're going to find a lot of uh, duplicitous 
and nonsensical patterns if you look into the various COVID policies and how they're enforced between different groups. But I think we should move on to the nuts and bolts of the game because we've spoken about how the Cowboys need to open up the run game, and that was accurate and intelligent. But as far as the pass game goes, with Michael Gallup being gone, I honestly don't even really see that much of a drop-off. I think with C.D. Lamb and Cooper, even with the busted ribs, I think this is a very solid passing attack, especially off the play action and off of the run. A big reason why we say the run game needs to be established, get that play action going. Dak is not the sort of guy that can thread the needle in a prime Breeze or a prime Rodgers or a 43-year-old Brady level. This is a guy that really benefits off of those safeties and linebackers biting, trying to come up into Zeke, facing off against stacked boxes. This isn't a guy who's going to solo carry you games with razor-sharp accuracy. So another reason why establishing the run is important, and another reason why if you see Zeke Elliott with the line that's like third halfway through the third quarter, 10 carries, 25 yards, those are the games that always look real bad for the Cowboys. Those are the games where you're sitting there saying, wow, why can't we get anything going? You know, as far as the passing game goes, I, I do expect CeeDee Lamb to have a you know to have a, a respectable game. As far as Amari goes, they're definitely going to have to be very cautious with him. If Amari Cooper can break uh, break away from the coverage and get deep uncovered, and if Dak Prescott can connect with him, that would be amazing. I mean, that's something you and I would love. But the Eagles secondary and the Eagles defense is, I mean, I hate to say it, but they are pretty damn good. But I believe this game, I mean, the, there's another key. The Cowboys offense has to be balanced, but if the running game just continues to work, like if, if Zeke and, you know, if, 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 if surprisingly Zeke is able to break, you know, have some long runs and the same thing with Pollard, there's no reason to abandon it. Because abandon, if you abandon it, you get arrogant, you start passing, you start passing. I mean, that could lead to a quick turnaround, and that's the last thing we need. Yeah, and in addition to arrogance, as I was talking about before, you really put Dak in a position where he doesn't have the talent to deal with. Okay, Dak, they're in dime. Though against the dime. Okay, Dak, uh, your, your best receiver is double covered, and they have safety help over the top. Find the open man. That's not where Dak excels. If you look at Dak's rookie year, where he put up the most consistent, winningest numbers, not necessarily the most passing yards, but the most winningest numbers, especially when you look at touchdown-to-interception ratio, how was he doing it? I'll tell you how he was doing it. They were running the shit out of the ball, then they would stack the box, the defense, and Dak would throw off of play action, and the guys would be open. This is why the offense needs to be operated through the running attack. You know, and, and this is why I, because when we saw this last week, when the running game all of a sudden, you know, Kellen Moore starts calling in passing plays, this is what Wiley and I are afraid of because of, it seems that Kellen Moore still has a little bit of Jason Garrett in him, and that is not good. Well, as far as lack of creativity goes, he's just as bad as Garrett. Let's be honest. This is a guy who, when he looks at his playbook, clueless. This guy's playbook is an absolute atrocity. Uncreative, uninspired. Even if you look at the stuff that isn't even really considered creative, sort of just standard, as far as like the run pass option or like uh, 
just your basic cloak and dagger sets, cutesy formations, any of that stuff. He's so behind the times, and he's not even really good at using schemes to find openings. So, Jace, I don't really understand why Kellen Moore was kept around. I think that uh, the one year really showed us all we needed to see, and he hasn't really improved or progressed at all. I think that he'll get shit-canned at the end of the year, and that we're really just going to see like a make-or-break year next season as far as like the entire regime goes. Yeah, I mean, as far as, far as Kellen Moore goes with play calling so far this year, I mean, I... I mean, the only criticism I have is, you know, like I said, you know, the running game looks good, and all of a sudden we're in the red zone, and then, you know, we have that false start or that holding, and then Dak Prescott getting sacked. I mean, that's the only that's the only criticism. I mean, overall, I don't have enough evidence to really go too far on criticizing more. I mean, I mean, I don't disagree. I mean, as far as you say, you 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 have a point. I can't say. I mean, it's I'm at a stance where Wiley. It doesn't matter whether I agree or disagree with him or not because. Because I'm not arrogant enough, you know, even though I have no evidence, I'm not going to go on you. But, you know, at the end of the day, I guess what I'm trying to say is well, you I, have res- 18, I, I, respect, I respect what you're saying. You have 18 games of evidence. So, like, I don't really understand that point. And you can disagree with me all you want. Like, it's a talk show. If you think Kellen Moore is creative and talented and has a lot of room and is going to get better, you can say that. But, like... Do you honestly believe that, like, we've seen 18 games, and by, like, week 8 this season, he's going to be, like, lining up in the wishbone, or, like, four wide to one side, or running, like, double reverses, or fucking running more run-pass options? Like, that's what I'm sort of wondering, is, like, do you have this opinion? Like, do you think Kellen Moore is going to improve severely? Because you can have that opinion and voice it. It is your show, and... It's completely fine to disagree, but, like, do you believe that? As far as Kellen Moore goes, he's been around for a while, so I have to say he's unpredictable. We'll have to see how the this season goes. Like, if the Cowboys win the NFC East, and if they miraculously make it to the NFC Championship, which is definitely a shot in the dark, and if Dak Prescott has, like, no... If the stats are never in garbage time, if the offense is good, that's going to convince me. But right now, it's... As far as the season goes, it's totally. But overall, for Kellen Moore, I'm I'm still like, I don't know about this guy. I, I so I, so I, I guess no, I'm not convinced. Okay, fair. Yeah. No, fair enough. I mean, it's just you know, it, it's because you know the problem is you know when the offensive line is is injured and then there's no quarterback. I mean that puts the pressure on, on an offensive coordinator. But you know, and, and I swear you know. The fact that, you know, I've even had Giant fans, you know, reach out to me, you know, say that, you know, that apparently Garrett's done, is doing the exact same thing he's done in Dallas. and Oh, yeah. And people say Jason Garrett is, is stuck. Some still say 1999. Some say 1995. Well, it doesn't matter what year, but he is stuck. He is stuck in the old school 1990s uh, style of football. Yeah, this, this, I mean, like, you don't need any PMs from Giants fans to deduce that Jason Garrett is completely out of touch, low risk, and runs like a joke offense that is basically stuck in the Stone Age because we saw that for 10 damn years. Like, as Cowboy fans, that was pretty much the main complaint was this, like, ridiculous, archaic style that Jason Garrett would use. He's not going to, like, eat shit in Dallas for all those years, not change, and get fired and magically become really creative in, in Green Bay. 
or in uh, New York, rather. It's just not going to happen. So, like, if I've watched some Giants games this season, and it's dreadful. And big surprise, New Yorkers are already bitching about him, which I love. Like, every one of those <laughs> posts I see, it's like, we had to go through this for 10 years. And you know everyone else in the NFC East just, like, loved and reveled in our misery. So I, I'm seeing, like, New Yorkers go through that. Yep, that's exactly what we had to go through. And you got, like, the Danny Dimes slurping and that whole mess. Man, oh, man. Like, that is just fucking comedic gold. I mean, and I, I like how you mentioned, like, some, some people would ask, what if Garrett had been the offensive coordinator for, for Green Bay? And I can honestly say, I don't think that Aaron Rodgers and Jason Garrett, it would be far more than not being on the same page I would pretty. I'm pretty sure Aaron Rodgers would even trust Garrett, and Rodgers would be furious if they hired Jason Garrett. Oh, you think he bitched about McCarthy? Jason Garrett has all the same flaws as Mike McCarthy, without any of the pros. Like Mike McCarthy, another sort of quote unquote like old school guy who uses sort of an older style, the old ball coach type. Jason Garrett was like the shitty, like uninspired version of that. At least McCarthy is a defensive guy, and he has a ring. Jason Garrett was an offensive guy who doesn't have a ring and is a fraud. Yeah, hundred percent. So let's. Uh, so as far as the game against the Eagles, um, what do you expect? What are your predictions? Like, do you, do you believe that there's that Tony Pollard is in for another hundred yard game, or do you believe Zeke might actually have a hundred yard game? Like, give me your give me your scoop, brother. I think uh, Zeke gets used often, comes or gets used early and relatively often, comes up soft. Then they put Pollard in, who does a bit better. But overall, I don't expect the Cowboys' offense to do that well, and I don't really expect the Eagles' offense to do that well. I expect a repeat of the Chargers game where it's going to be like a 21-24 type game. I actually have Dallas winning this one i think they'll beat the eagles who looked hapless last week and i do think that the cowboys will look, be good enough to win but won't necessarily wow or be like that's the best team in the nfc east i think that'll look similar to the chargers game i agree although i think it's going to be a little bit higher scoring i have dallas winning 34 27 okay because jalen hurts i mean believe it or not J jalen hurts he can throw and he can run and the fact that our defense defensive line is so badly depleted, I believe we have we're down to four, man, just four. Now, as far as Micah Parsons goes, it's I'm not sure if it, it doesn't matter to me whether he's a defensive end or a linebacker. If he can put pressure on the quarterback like he did to Justin Herbert, that's what I'm all. That's what we're about. Like I don't. It doesn't. It makes no difference to me. Whether he's a they, whether they list him as a linebacker or a defensive end, as long as Mike, Micah Parsons could do his job, okay, and then you know like that, that that's what it's all about. Like at the end of the day, like who cares what position he is, as long as he's doing what we draft him to do, as long as he's playing football the way he knows how. Well, the Cowboys are a team that has historically really struggled with injuries, and they're in a position now where it's like, here we are in week three. Already scraping the bottom of a defense that was not deep to begin with. Honestly, it's a sort of an eye roller. It's disappointing. It's saddening. And I'm of the opinion that this is just getting to a point where we're a couple injuries away from being brutally awful again. Between Parsons and Van Der Esch and Lawrence, who's already hurt, 
this is like a pretty damn top-heavy defense. But it'll be good to have Rennie Gregory back. You know what? Rennie Gregory was on this list for a week, and, and now he's back. I mean, th- this is this is why it's just like, why the fuck do we have to do with this shit? But, you know, again, it's it, it's it's really making me rip my, my own damn hair out. But uh, it will I, – I really I really hope to s- that Rennie Gregory can actually have a good game because, you know, I mean, you know, what, what's been impressive so far as far as Rennie Gregory goes is he hasn't been in trouble. He hasn't failed the drug test, so. True. Yeah, and and, 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 and and you know, when I did an, a sole episode on the guy, it's it, it, because really still, it really does seriously bother me how because of a couple of drug tests, I mean, all the things he did, like people still like talk to him like he's a like he's public enemy number one. I'm just like, guys, seriously, that's stupid. I get it. He's he smoked weed, but this is where I encourage people do your research. I mean. Randy Gregory is like me, you know, uh, he's learning disabled, he's got some mental health, you know, problems, and sometimes, you know, and I, at the end of the day, what he did is to calm himself down, but I mean, I get it, he's, he, he, he violated the substance policy, but, but when, when people talk about, like, he's public enemy number one, I mean, that's just, I mean, seriously, that's stupid. I agree with that. To me, I have a problem with the opposite end of the spectrum, where you have fans who, because the Cowboys, really, since like the Jay Ratliff and DeMarcus Ware days ended, have had like a pretty shit defense. You have fans who pretended like Gregory and Lawrence were really, really good when they weren't bad, but like they were like solidly above average, not God tier. It was the fans who always pretended like Gregory and Lawrence were like the end all be all that bothered me. But obviously, the, the people who act like he's the worst ever because he smoked weed are morons, but. That sort of goes without saying, and sort of funnily, in the last uh, negotiation, bet- the collective bargaining agreement between the league and the players, the players like didn't get most of what they wanted, but the one thing that they did sort of settle for and finally get was being able to smoke weed, because obviously like that is a better way to relieve stress and pain than doing a bunch of fucking addictive opioids. Which, like, it does sort of show, like, how duplicitous the NFL is and how it's all about the money where they'll preach all this player safety horse shit and not allow the defensive players to play actual defense or hit anyone. And then when it comes down to actual health of people just being hooked on these horrific, like, soul-stealing opioids, you can read uh, some literature about Brett Favre's life or his watch's interview with Graham Bensinger about how opioids were taking a huge toll on Favre, and this is probably the toughest quarterback in NFL history, or at least top five. Remember, this was a guy that held the consecutive games record and played in that 2009 uh, game where the Saints were literally trying to like maim and brutalize him, and you had that disgusting waste of life, Greg Williams, like offering to pay guys thousands of dollars to like try to hurt this guy in his 40s, like brutalizing him after the play and shit. Tank do it all, like in his 40s. And you know what? Like if Brett was allowed to blaze one instead of doing a bunch of fucking uh, oxycodone or whatever he was taking, then he would have been better off and he wouldn't have had to deal with severe shakes and opioid withdrawals so it's good that the nfl is moving in the right direction but you see what it took the players had to sacrifice a lot of uh, 
like political capital to ram that through as opposed to other changes people like that really talented receiver josh gordon basically had their career destroyed for no reason you know a lot of these guys not only do they have to deal with mental health issues and the stresses of everyday life and being an nfl player but a lot of them sort of like come from fucked up upbringings and have been smoking weed since they were 13 just as like a way to cope with like growing up in really shitty situations so it's just very duplicitous and dishonest when the nfl blows smoke up your ass and tells you lies about player safety oh uh anytime a linebacker knocks the shit out of a running back that's a flag and it's like, well, that's like one of the most exciting things in a game. Why is it a flag? Oh, what, do you not care about the players? What, do you not care about traumatic brain injuries? And anytime someone shuts down dissent in that sort of like dishonest, patronizing way, you should be very wary of them as a person because not only are they dishonest, they're probably dim-witted. So that's one thing that you really need to consider as far as the marijuana policy in the NFL goes. Exactly, and and as far as you know, marijuana goes. I don't know anything about it, so I I can't say you know whether whether you're you're right or wrong. But I at least I can say that there's worse things you can a, a player can can violate this uh, policy. You know, there's worse things than marijuana out there. I mean, I mean, like, yeah. you, you mean like everything? <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. literally every opioid, and it's not even close. Definitely, so yeah. I mean, as far as me and Randy Gregory goes, maybe it's because, maybe it's because you know he's a lot like me. You know, mental health. You know, I've I've had my my deep struggles because you know how you know bullying as a kid and the way I grew up and everything. But you know, it, it, I could go on and on. But the bottom line is, you know, Randy Gregory is not a bad person, and it bothers me how people talk like he is, and and I and I, and you know the and, the, and I realize this. Look. If he's able to stay out of trouble, come back, keep working hard, and and he hasn't been in trouble lately, you know, I I that really tells me I should have really had I should have had more faith in the guy because I did give up after he kept getting in trouble. It's like, well, I've given up, and and now look at him, you know, he's playing, and I mean, he's he hasn't been starting, but you know, the best thing is he's been out of trouble. So you know what, I really should have had more faith in the guy. Well, the Cowboys certainly need him. They're very light on defense, so. Yeah. Anyway. So I'm sticking with my guns. I have Dallas 34, 20, uh, Eagles 27. And as far as the Eagles goes, it seems like they'll be uh, their left tackle, Jordan Mylita, is actually unlikely to play because of a knee injury. Hmm. Yeah, personally, I think that the Cowboys, again, it's going to come down to the run. This is all about the running game, getting the running game established. If this turns into a basically 1v1 between the quarterbacks i actually favor hurts because he's a more dynamic player he has a lot more ground game than old dacky boy I mean, it's just gonna be tough i mean our defensive line is so depleted i mean our, our linebackers are gonna have their hands full it, it, it's gonna be tough so that, that's why in, in order to fulfill a key to victory we're gonna have to sack the quarterback we're gonna have to force turnovers we're gonna have to this defense is gonna have to fucking play defense yeah, they've been doing a good job of that so far. So hopefully I they mean, keep it up. I mean, I, I I could just hope that these they won't commit stupid fucking penalties. Well, that's one thing that whenever you hear like Mike McCarthy, old school, established Super Bowl winner, 
that's one thing that you thought was really going to be toned down was the stupid unforced penalty. So hopefully that's the case because so far I don't really think it has been the case. No, 100% not. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Cowboys Talk is available to you on all streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Wiley, tell the folks where they can find you. At Venomous Stare, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube. Like I said, I do a fantasy football show on my YouTube channel. Make sure to check out Alex's new website and leave a positive review for the podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next time on we'll Recap. How about them Cowboys? Hopefully we'll be saying that when the game ends. How about them Cowboys? <laughs>